0: Hello from Ireland. Need to catch up on your documentaries? Well, don't worry, we've got you covered. Here at Docs That Rock, we review the best documentaries on the planet. Watch out because they're not spoiler-free, but hey, that might suit you. Subscribe and download the weekly dish on Docs That Rock. Available at BigHeadsMedia.com and all good podcast providers. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts.
1: And now, on with the show!
0: Hey everyone, welcome to...
2: We're watching here!
0: We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me is the Criterion channel to my Disney Plus Perry Seibert.
2: <laughs> I would like to say for the record, in case we've never made this clear, Chris always surprises me with these. and I, I love it. I love it every time he's never disappointed with me to me. Yes, absolutely. That is the perfect metaphor for this. Yeah.
0: How are you doing, Perry?
2: I'm excellent. Uh, how are you?
0: I am good. Um, I do want to, at the top of the show, just talk to our listeners and say, I know it's been a while since we've done a show uh we had family emergencies we had sickness i've had school everything's been on my end and it's just been kind of crazy um so it's all my fault you guys haven't heard an episode in a while but we're gonna try and get a few in before the end of the year and uh be back on track in january for sure um so thank you for sticking with us but we are back and uh Yeah, we're going to talk The Irishman today, which I am really excited to talk with you about, Perry.
2: Me too. Me too. Excited
0: to talk about this film with anybody, but you especially. I've been looking forward to this since we started the podcast. Um, (laughs) So before we get into that, there's been a whole month. I'm sure you've been watching a lot. I've been watching a lot. We're becoming buried under screeners. Uh, But what have you been watching?
2: Uh, uh, yeah, I have seen so many films in the last 10 days and there are so many more to come in the next 10, but what I wanted to highlight because I saw it just the other night and I am thrilled at this movie, Pedro Almodovar's new film, Pain and Glory is top tier Almodovar, uh, one of the five best films I will see all year. It is, and it's a film that uh, – it's a film that actually would make a really interesting double bill with the Irishman. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> it is um, It is about someone uh, – it, it's about someone in middle age taking stock of their life. Okay. As opposed to someone at the very end of their life taking stock of their life. Uh, it's very much it, – I, I have this thing where I'm not – I don't – I don't love Fellini's Eight and a Half like a lot of people love Eight and a Half. It's it's a great movie, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I love so many films that Eight and a Half was the obvious inspiration for. Sure, sure. <laughs> We've talked about one of them. All That Jazz is mm-hmm. the greatest knockoff of Eight and a Half I have ever seen and I adore All That Jazz. Uh, and this is kind of like one of those. It's, okay. it's less like that than other things, but that's sort of a, a, an obvious sort of antecedent for it. It's a filmmaker... Figuring out where they are in their life, and it's uh, it's got a fantastic Antonio Banderas performance. He won the best actor award at Cannes this year for this movie, and it is it's just a great you know middle aged statement from Almodovar. It's it's really strong. I can't recommend it highly enough. What have you been watching, Chris?
0: Yeah, I uh, just last night. I watched a screener of Light from Light. Uh, This is a film I had not heard anything about until about a week ago when several critics I really respect started kind of raving about it a little bit. Um, It it debuted at Sundance earlier this year. It's directed by Paul Harrell. He did uh, Something Anything in 2014, which I have not seen. But uh, this is a very... Quiet drama starring Malin, Maylin- no, I'm sorry, Maren Ireland, as a ghost hunter, and she's kind of disillusioned. She's kind of between teams, as she puts it. Uh, she she had a series of prophetic dreams when she was a kid. She's kind of y- y- helped people with, I guess, ghost mysteries would be the thing, but she's. You can just kind of tell she's kind of a skeptic about the whole thing. And she's introduced to a man played by Jim Gaffigan. And he's a widower who believes his wife's spirit might be haunting his home. Um, So that description really sounds like it is a typical ghost story. But it's really not. It's the furthest thing you can really get from horror. It's just a very quiet character-based drama about two people who really want to believe there is something underneath this life but they're also both conditioned and expecting to be disappointed in that and i I mean you know me i like my movies with their kind of spiritual touches and this is about as good as i've seen um an exploration of that tension between faith and doubt how uh how you can be hoping for something big and transcendent to break through but you're really preparing yourself that no this is the you know disillusioning disappointing world and it's probably not going to happen and it goes to some really interesting places I I would not say it is a thriller by any stretch of the imagination it is not an overly sentimental movie Um, Marin Island gives a very kind of internal performance she's got a very caustic guard up uh, jim gaffigan who i have never seen play drama before he is very understated and kind of grief saturated and just very sweet um so yeah this is i mean this is a small movie but it really moved me i i was really really surprised at uh, how affected i was by it especially because most of the movie is people looking for something that never shows up um, and that's not necessarily a spoiler. <laughs> that's that's the repetitive theme of the movie, is looking for something that you're pretty sure won't show itself. And uh, I, I, was, I, I was really, really affected by it. I, it's one I've been thinking about throughout the day. So uh, I have no idea what its theatrical rollout is, because I know it's at a handful of theaters in the United States right now. It is not in Detroit. I do not see it on any release schedules, but... I have to assume this is coming to a streaming platform at least within the next year. Uh, and it's, I would it's imagine worth, so. Yeah, it, it's definitely worth checking out. It's, uh, it, it's a movie that has been sticking to the ribs a little bit, and that's always nice when that happens.
2: Excellent. Sounds like we've picked two films that are... Uh, are are, are, uh, are, are We'll touch upon things I think we're going to talk about over the next mm-hmm. uh, few minutes with The Irishman.
0: Uh, I've also seen Frozen Two, which uh, which has a little bit of the Irishman in it as well, and uh, uh, <laughs> the Norseman. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, so no, I mean I'm not going to talk about Frozen Two. It's bad, but uh, we will just.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen it yet, and I will be. It's one. It is one the 16 year old in the house is very very excited for. So I, I will see it.
0: My daughter loved it, and it's it's not it's not awful, but it's. Not what I'm talking about today. Uh, But we are talking about The Irishman. We uh, are. Perry, I I said at the top of this that since we started doing this show, I think this is the episode that I always knew was coming, that I was most (laughs) excited for, mainly because I know how you feel about Martin Scorsese. Yes. And... This was one rapturous would be the appropriate word. I was gonna in case use anyone's fanboy. just tuning in for the first
2: time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we've talked we've talked about Taxi Driver and we I, you know, I know we talked about him a bit in our uh, our Joker review a few weeks ago. But uh, mm-hmm. this is this is our first time since we've started the show where there's actually been a Scorsese movie that we're talking about. You, you did briefly talk about. Yes, the documentary. indeed. Um so maybe may, why don't you handle this uh why don't you say why you were excited about this and uh what the movie's about for those who might not know
2: The movie is the story of uh, uh the man who basically uh, claimed on his deathbed that he killed Jimmy Hoffa mm-hmm. It's a book called uh I hear you paint houses it was written by a journalist who who found this man and uh it is a project I I was super excited for it because this has been bouncing around with De Niro and Scorsese for 20 years. It's the last thing that I know of that has been a huge decades-long thing for him to get to the screen. Uh, Other examples of works like this are Last Temptation of Christ and Gangs of New York. Those were two that were long, gestating things. And this started up because De Niro was given the book – I, I hear you paint houses. Eric Roth, the screenwriter of The Good Shepherd, gave De Niro this book as sort of a piece of research. Not that it was, you know, not that that was going to, happen, but just he thought emotionally it fit what the main character in The Good Shepherd was going through. Mm-hmm. And De Niro became obsessed. <laughs> and De Niro wanted to make this movie. Much like if you know your Scorsese history, it was De Niro who initially, who wanted to do Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. He wanted to play that character. He that spoke to Bob. And uh, Marty got to it after a a nearly fatal 70s. And then that's how he pulled out of it. This is uh, and this was, uh, you know, he and De Niro had not worked together uh, since Casino. That's 24 years ago. And the perspective I like to give on this is if you go back 24 years from Casino, they hadn't worked together yet. (laughs) We have gone as long without a De Niro Scorsese film (laughs) as all of the De Niro Scorsese films. Uh, So for all of these reasons, throw in Joe Pesci, throw in Al Pacino, throw in Harvey Keitel. Oh, yes, I've been waiting for this for a very, very long time, Chris. (laughs) I was I was very excited for what this might be. Of course, part of the reason it took forever and ever is because no studio would fund it. Uh, they both got off doing other projects for a few years. They almost made an adaptation of The Winter of Frankie Machine, which is an outstanding novel. I cannot recommend that novel highly enough. I love the author. I love everything about it. If you read the book, you'll picture De Niro playing the character. But it, uh, the, he, Marty's talked about how that was more of a genre piece, and they couldn't quite wedge in all the things they really wanted to do. Uh, without, they'd have to violate it being a genre piece, and he didn't want to do that. And so finally, they got so old that they needed super new technology to de age everybody, and that that skyrockets the budget even more. Uh, and that leads us to Netflix stepping in with the, I think it's 160 million. Yeah, that Is that the number right. you've heard?
0: Yeah, it, it's that's something very like close. that.
2: And all of that, okay, okay I'm going to say not all of it, I'm going to say a large chunk of that. Is simply the motion capture they needed to do in order to de-age uh, all three of the leads for a period of time in the movie, and we'll get into all that later. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that's the setup for The Irishman, Chris. What did you bring to this? I mean, what, what I, I I I have a hard time gauging anybody else's reaction to or you know anticipation for a new Scorsese film because I'm way out in my own planet with this. So tell me what you were expecting, thinking, feeling, going into this?
0: I mean, it wasn't a Marvel movie, but, I mean... <laughs> no, I mean...
2: <laughs> so we had the same place. Yes, good.
0: good. No, I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm quite on your level with uh, the Scorsese love, but it's not for a lack of admiration. It's just, I think you've been soaking in him longer. Um, but I, you know, I think anyone... Who, who counts themselves a fan of movies is going to get excited when he puts anything out. And I was looking back recently um, just at the last decade that he's had, right? So, yeah, since, since 2010, I think Hugo was 2011, right? So he does Hugo, he does Wolf of Wall Street, he does Silence, he does a uh-huh. few documentaries in between uh-huh. there. I, I mean, that's that's as good of a decade as any filmmaker has had. I, th- those are three very different movies that I like quite a bit, made by a man in his 70s, which is just insane to me.
2: Uh, and yes.
0: And and so yeah. I, was, I, was, I was really excited <laughs> yeah, to see... You said
2: it as well as I could.
0: I was really excited to see what he was going to do after Silence, which is a movie I really like. I mean, going back to... You know, light from light. It's another movie about faith and doubt that I think means a lot to me. But then you you realize that came on the flip side of Wolf of Wall Street, which is this fast, energetic, angry movie. And I I just it boggles my mind that the same director made that. So I wanted to see what he did would do next. But I will admit, when The Irishman was announced, I kind of was like, "Oh, really?" Because my first thought was I've seen a Scorsese gangster movie. I've seen several of them. I've seen Goodfellas. I've seen I don't think I have seen Casino, but I have seen The Departed. But then I read I Heard You Paint Houses earlier this year, which is you know, whether it's accurate or not, I don't know. I I know there's a lot of debate and it's probably not very accurate. It doesn't matter, um, for what what's going on here. Right. When you this read It's not
2: a history lesson.
0: Right. When I saw the way that this story, though, was kind of entwining with American history and politics, I began to start thinking, oh, wow, someone could do something really good with this. And then I'm sure we will get into it. It gets into the final passages of the book, and I realized, oh... I really want to see Scorsese make this movie now, especially (laughs) years after *Goodfellas*. And my hope was that they would be true to those final pages, and they—I mean—they exceeded what I expected with that. So I went from being not excited at all to very curious to clearing out an entire saturday morning so i could drive across town to the one theater that was playing it at a good time out here um, <laughs> like, it, it was very hard for me to get out and see this movie but there was no way i was going to catch it on netflix and all respect to netflix for making it at all but i could not fathom watching this on my laptop or god forbid a cell phone so yes so yes absolutely so all that all that said what did you think about the movie
2: Uh, It's what's – and again, up top, we've said about this before. If you've listened to the podcast, this – we're talking about the entire movie. Mm -hmm. This is a spoiler-filled conversation. There's no way to talk about this movie without talking about it in its totality. And while I say that, I can't believe that any of it can be spoiled. It's not that kind of experience. Mm -hmm. It's not about, ooh, what's going to happen next? So please don't let that be a turnoff for you. You kind of know Jimmy Hoffa died. So this shouldn't really they make of a surprise, right? So what I was surprised by was how um, muted it is. It is not it, – it, when it finished, I w- I've been having a hard time talking about it with people because it is It is a film I want to talk about how, how great it is and how much I love it. But it is – it is a it is a remarkably uncommercial film. I understand why every studio passed on it. Mm-hmm. It's there is there is no release for the audience at all. There is no moment to make this enjoyable or fun. It does not romanticize this character ever. It's not where you know. It's not Goodfellas where there's an hour and a half of oh my god, this is so much fun. <laughs> to live this amoral life, and then everything falls apart at the end. This is three and a half hours of. This is pretty bad. This is this is not good. I have De Niro has 44 for fifty years now been better than any other actor I can think of at playing characters who have no inner life. Mm-hmm. He has his great. His his great addition to the canon of American acting is he doesn't have any interest in winning an audience's sympathy ever. He can. He can decide that that's what he's doing if he's got a character who's going to do that. But he is very comfortable playing characters who are seemingly dead inside. Yeah. And he can play them perfectly. He he makes them very real because there are people like that in the world. We don't usually make movies about them. This is why De Niro is an incredibly special actor and has been taken for granted for a very long time. <laughs> because he doesn't go out and engage with you. Everybody has their idea of what they think a De Niro performance is, and then I will give you a half a dozen performances. That's not what he's doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He he doesn't always do that. Just like I got I, I got so sick of all the people who were talking about how, oh great, another Scorsese gangster film. He's only made five of them by my count with this one. <laughs> and he makes them a long time apart from each other. Yeah. Outside of Goodfellas and Casino, which still was six years apart. People think those came right on top of each other, but they did not. There were there were films in between. And
0: they're not the uh, same movies. I mean, The not Departed is very different than Goodfellas. In- and
2: Casino is very different from Goodfellas. And Mean Streets is very different from all of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> That's the other gangster film. Uh, and uh, so... So it's a film that I have been afraid to praise because I think it's a film that can be really undone if someone goes in expecting Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you will not know what you're in for if that's what you're expecting. You, you are going into a, a, I don't want to say slow because it's not. No. It's just a, a meditative, heavy film. <laughs> it, is, it is not light. <laughs> I don't know in in every possible way, and and it builds to for me, it's it's all about the from it's all about the first and the last shot, for me. You know, Marty composes his films. The opening is the searchers shot. It's you're in that hospital and it's blacked out and you just have the arch and the camera pushes through into the hallway of the hospital, and at the end of the film, you have the flip side of the searchers shot. The searchers is one of the key films for Scorsese. It is the film that Harvey Keitel's character picks up the girl. in who's that knocking at my door? His very first film by talking about it is the film that taxi driver is absolutely sort of this through the looking glass copy of it. It is a, you know, the searchers is about how does a, a man who cannot fit in regular society exist in regular society? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose of that? and, this time he's made a movie where he says, there is no purpose for it. This serves no purpose. And beyond, the point isn't that. The point isn't to, to bring you to that moment. It's to say, and if that's true, what does that mean for that person? And that's why the last shot is, again, it's the searcher shot, but it's completely switched around. Where, you know, the searchers is dark on the outside and light in the middle as you see John Wayne walk away. Here you watch De Niro just sit in darkness mm-hmm. through a doorway that's light around the outside, and you wonder what that means for him. And I was – I mean, I was, as, as a lifelong Scorsese adorer, I was just dumbstruck and thunderstruck at how perfect <laughs> that was as a, as a, as a statement for, you know, from a 77-year-old filmmaker. That's, that's really brave. <laughs> to, 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 to just not give the audience any sort of release of any kind and to just make you think about that yeah. and because I, I think he's thinking about that I think he's thinking about what does this mean in so many ways like you said it's such a giant sweep through the last 50 years of the 20th century in America and, and making you think about what well if this guy can wield this much power and have this much influence, what what are we doing? And that's something. That is really something.
0: Yeah, I, I'm totally with you on pretty much every point you made. Um, the, <laughs> the idea the idea that someone would go in expecting Goodfellas, I can understand that. This is, like you say, not Goodfellas, but I feel like this is a movie that is in dialogue with Goodfellas. Like, this is Scorsese looking back at those movies but he's coming from a different angle. Like, like you said, Goodfellas is this kind of seductive ride. You are drawn in, you know, Henry Hill is drawn into the mob life. He wants the, the riches. He wants the drugs. He wants all that. Uh, and there's an energy to that because Scorsese's capturing the, the allure of all that. This has several scenes that feel almost like mirrors of the Goodfellas scenes. Like there is a Cop- Copacabana scene in this movie. Mm-hmm. There is narration. Mm-hmm there is a structure that is very similar to Goodfellas and that it's stretching out over decades but like you said I don't want to say the movie's not fun because there are some very funny moments in this but there is not that sense of this is a good time for them this is a right there there is not that energy because Frank is not that character he is not Henry Hill who is doing this because there's an allure because he's always wanted to be part of this this is him just being a good soldier this is him surviving Um, Adam Kempinar on the film spotting podcast he, he brought this up first so it's not original with me but when he said it it locked into place so much of this movie's themes there's that scene where Frank is talking about his time in World War II and he's talking about taking enemy soldiers out into the woods and they're digging their own graves and they'll keep digging even though they know they're going to die Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he, he says, I wondered why they kept digging. But that's what he does this entire film. Frank is constantly <laughs> doing, you know, he's, you know, we're reminded over and over that the people who populate this film are going to die horrible deaths, most likely. The, the, yes. the film freezes yes. to tell you how they die. And you don't get a sense that Frank feels much of anything about that. He doesn't seem to feel remorse. He doesn't even seem to feel anger. Uh, There is only one hit in the movie where he seems kind of bothered by it at all. And it's, you know, the climax of the movie, but he is like you said, he is a character with nothing internal. He is passive and doing what he's told to survive. And then as he gets older, he still just digging. How can I prolong this? How you know you see him near the end of the movie buying a crypt because it's less permanent. His death is less yes. permanent. And it's just that constant digging because that end comes for everyone and he's trying to somehow avoid it. And that's that final hour just was like a sledgehammer to me. Because it feels like Scorsese is looking back and all these other films he's made about these type of characters, and all these people who have accused him of glamorizing this lifestyle, and just laying it bare. No, no, no. This is this is what I what it leads to. This is where it ends up. I can't be more clear that I am not glamorizing this. They all end up dying, and what's it worth? Mm-hmm. And I found that last hour just. I found a lot of silence in that. Uh, the movie silence in that. Just a lot of meditation of there's a scene with a priest where frank is confessing but yes. there's there's the question of what's going on under that confession that uh-huh. to me i found fascinating this idea of you know going through the motions on one end because that's what frank has done his whole life but what's behind that i in realizing there might not be anything behind that and what's that mean um yeah i i found that very very haunting
2: See for me, what I found interesting was I. I, it, I, I think Silence is. Uh, I mean, obvi- uh, they they are they are interesting films to talk about in tandem, mm-hmm. but at their core, I think they're very different. They're very different movies because Silence ends on a note of absolute. F- f- ah, I want to call it at least at least a the film ends in a way that is a vindication yes. for everything that the the main character believes, and th- I'm not saying that did any I I I don't want to get into a bigger conversation about what that means. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. to say sure that does, and this so does not.
0: <laughs> no sure <laughs> this, sure this
2: so does not do that in any capacity, and so it's not. That's why Silence is a film about faith and about how you live and as you're saying by we meet a new character we find out how they die right away Mm -hmm. this is a three hour and 45 minute meditation on death sure which again gets me back to i don't know how to make that sound like something people should rush out and
0: see no no and i i totally (laughs) agree with you they should yeah I totally agree with you on that I, I don't think it, it ends on a, the same note That Silence does Where it's that button which Is not in the book And which I think buttons that movie A little too neatly But um, are you still there? Oh yeah Okay sorry I thought I heard a click out yes. um, I, I think just I did not expect it to have this last hour That was literally him Facing his inevitable death yeah yeah like like a full hour of that that that's not good fellas <laughs> you know what I mean and, no and it, it, it you know it does end on a very like you don't walk out of this with an easy answer, you don't walk out of this feeling good because to me the most troubling thing and the the thing that i and I can't even explain why this unsettles me so much for all the violence for all the betrayals in this movie, the thing that. Haunts me in this movie is him telling the priest to leave the door open a little bit. Yeah, and it's that vulnerability and fear that just you see this this person who's done these horrible things, terrified of being alone, terrified of being closed out, and uh, that that shook me in my seat. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's not a uh, you know. It, the Scarface crowd is not going to love this, but uh, <laughs> but maybe I, I don't know either because it is also a very entertaining movie in some places. There, there are moments in this where I think Scorsese's humor is as strong as as it's ever been. Uh, there's the sequence with the watermelon that is <laughs> it's it very funny. There are you know he he loves to dig into kind of the The weird little stories from this this world and that's one that I remember from the book being very funny Um, there's also a sequence between Al Pacino and Stephen Graham who plays uh, Tony Pro where they are in a Miami hotel room bickering with each other and I was cackling (laughs) for the entire five minutes so I don't want to make it sound like it's a slog either because even at three and a half hours I I was surprised how fast that time passed for me
2: Agreed entirely. It does not well, but and here's the thing: it's not a slog, and it doesn't feel like three and a half hours, but it it is, and it's a film that needs to be that length. You need the weight to at the end, re, to, exactly, for it to get to the point it gets to. You need to have felt like you have seen an entire life,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I and to do it in not that this is necessary, but as you know, by not romanticizing it at all. He's managed to do this in a way that is sort of uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for M- morally perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there is no way to accuse this film of making this fun, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> or or reveling in this at all. No, which just... is okay, it, you know that's that's a question that I I get into so many. I I, I I am I am one of I am I am a film nerd who will argue that the godfather is better than the godfather part two for this very reason that the godfather part two for me is a film that is steeped in coppola saying i want to make sure everybody understands these people are awful (laughs) (laughs) and that he wanted to he wanted to make sure everybody understood that and i'm and i'm thinking well you you accomplish that with the first one. Yes, yes, you have some fun. You make this seem like a glamorous thing, but that's okay. You set that world up so that we know what that actually costs everybody. <laughs> for me, at the end of it, I don't need the lesson of Godfather 2 mm-hmm. for the Godfather to have the weight that it does. The Godfather is a tragedy, uh, and that's the same. I mean, that is that is the same instinct I think that drives much of Casino. Casino is supposed to be about making sure everybody understands, no, these are awful, awful people. I'm sorry if I made that look like fun for a while. And, and again, at the same time for me, Goodfellas is, is such an aesthetic experience that that's, that's the answer for it within that movie. That yes, the first half of that movie is so much fun. It is exhilarating to watch. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the punishment for that is the 20-minute Coke freakout, <laughs> which is so hard to mm-hmm. watch. And so intensely painful that I'm, you know, I, I, I sort of give that film a pass, not not a pass. I don't judge it for story wise for that because aesthetically it does that it does answer for it. Uh, but this is a film that goes to such a different (laughs) aesthetic extreme in order to make sure that none of that happens. That that's why for me it is, it's such a fascinating addition to the Scorsese canon.
0: Yeah, I think, too, he has a really good knack for delivering his stories through the eyes, uh, you know, obviously through the eyes of the protagonist. But if you look at how Goodfellas treats that, again, there's that, like you said, it's that aesthetic experience. It's an experience. It's very vivid. It's very, you know, fun to watch and energetic because these are stories that Henry Hill is probably telling 20, 30 times over because you see at the end of the movie, even though he's been destroyed by that life he misses that life this this movie you don't really get a sense that frank thinks anything about that life and that's mirrored when you watch the violence in this movie these are not you know the shootings and stabbings and everything in this movie are not they're they're not filmed in a way that's exciting or badass it's very quick to the point point. Um, it, it's often just Frank walking up to someone, shooting them, and running away because it's just the job. It's just the job of his soldier. He doesn't he, he doesn't really have a thought about whether that's good or bad. It's what he's been told to do, and he does it. And so I, I think that that is mirrored in the way the violence is presented in this too, which is very brutal but to the point.
2: The trailer has more thrilling violence mm-hmm. in it than the movie does. Yeah, <laughs> the the trailer really is not an indication of what the experience of this movie is. It's fair about the story, but it is not what you, th- it, you know, the the trailer makes it look like Goodfellas too. And it ain't
0: Mm-mm. no <laughs> at all. No, this is, th- this is a movie that you feel after a while. And, and it is a movie that kind of, you might start thinking, Oh, maybe it's in that vein because the first time those little title cards appear that start telling you how people die, you kind of oh, chuckle. Yeah. You kind of like, Oh, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of a funny little gag. But then, when that keeps happening over the course of three hours, it stops being mm-hmm. funny, and it got really quiet in that theater.
2: And you got to and to remember, I mean, that's that's something that goes on throughout Wolf of Wall Street as well. Mm-hmm. There in all of Jordan Belfort's monologues, there's oftentimes he stops and talks about, "Oh yeah, that guy ended up ODing." Yeah. <laughs> like this, this is this is not new. For, for Scorsese, even though it's a different writer this time around. And shout out to Steven Zellian. This is a great script. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is just a beautifully constructed script. And I, I, I will use this to tell my favorite Steven Zellian story, which is, of course, uh, he, he's, he wrote Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. He adapted the, the nonfiction Schindler's List book for Spielberg. And Spielberg gets this script and sends it off to Tom Stoppard, the great British playwright, Asking for any advice at all, and Stoppard sent it back and said, "Just one piece of advice: don't change a word." <laughs> He's Zillion's been that good for that long, and uh, this is just another absolutely masterful piece of writing. I, I I I always marvel at the fact that Schindler's List begins and ends with. I mean, do you remember the open, <laughs> the first and last scenes of Schindler's List? I know the first in the, scene... in the movie proper. Okay. Not, then... not. We're, we're not, we're not bothering with that, the, the, the lighting of the candle at the beginning and the laying of the rocks at the end. Just in the movie proper.
0: Oh, I do right, not. The, it's been ages since I've seen Schindler's List.
2: The first thing we see Oscar Schindler do is put on his his suit for the dress dinner he's going to, and putting on all of the medals and all of the accoutrement on this uniform. And the last thing we see him do is ripping those things off his clothes, saying. This would have been six more lives. This would have been five more lives. That is, uh, that's, that, for all that goes on in that film, Zalian found the absolute perfect image to open and close that story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he does it here, too.
0: Well, and I love the structure of this story. It's like, it's little nesting dolls almost. It's, you know, Frank telling the story of his life from, you know, from the nursing home. But then it's you know he's telling you a story about a road trip that you you kind of get an idea later on as to why this road trip was important. But then throughout that it's going further back and there's all these flashbacks within flashbacks, and it's so well structured and Thelma Schoenmacher does such a great job with the editing that this this movie just keeps moving. I I got really mad when I heard someone make a joke on Twitter. Like, how great can the editing in this movie be? It's three and a half hours long. <laughs> like, like the job of an editor is to yeah. make the movie shorter. I'm like, no, the job of the editor is to make the most of that three and a half hours. And yeah. she does that. And this movie, this movie moves and it cuts seamlessly in between times. Um, I, I think now might be also the good time to bring up the de-aging technology, which... I did not find very distracting unless they were supposed to be very young, and then it gets a little waxy.
2: Here is what I'm gonna say about that,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and this is
2: this is um, this is this is a hard one for me for a couple of reasons. So my one my one giant sort of caveat on Goodfellas from a sheer filmmaking standpoint is it was honestly. The third or fourth time I saw the movie before I realized that the kid Henry is like selling cigarettes out of the back of the truck mm-hmm. with at the beginning is supposed to be Joe Pesci because Joe Pesci is so much older than really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like it just it really it never dawned on me that that was supposed to be the same character. So we've already I've already been in a world with these guys where their age doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I get what they're supposed to be. I don't need it. I've heard Scorsese talk about how the, I mean, he's given many interviews at this point talking about how they really did it. If you want to know the entire process, look those up. But he ended up by saying he ended up treating it like this is the next phase of makeup. This is what makeup is going Mm -hmm. to be. And I understand that defense, but I will tell you that the, the, the point that it – I'm going to go ahead and just say hurt
1: <laughs> a little
2: for me in the theater is the scene uh, – the, the one time I will I, – I, while I would have probably tried to work up a defense about, about being referred to as a Scorsese fanboy, <laughs> I, will, I will confess that I absolutely felt fanboy joy in that scene when Pesci, Keitel, and De Niro sit down after it's it's the the point at which De Niro is going to be fully accepted into this world, basically. And just seeing the three of them sit down, I felt my heart race. I was like, oh my God, I've never, they've never all been at the table. They said, and then they cut to De Niro and he's got those fake looking rosy cheeks. And I was like, damn, no, this has been, this has been, I don't want to say ruined. That's too strong a word. This has been mitigated for me in a way that I, I don't know that I can accept. <laughs> just, just for me personally, that scene is so good. Kaitel is spectacular in it. Uh, but oh, oh, De Niro looks like he's been colorized to me. It just, it looks not right. I, I, I call it colorized, call it, they put too much rouge on him, whatever. I'm not saying it doesn't look like a real, it doesn't look like real human skin. I'm just saying it doesn't, look like oh I know Robert De Niro it looks like they're trying to make him look younger in some artificial way and I would have been fine if he looked as old as he looks I really or whatever they could do with regular makeup and hair color to make him look in his 50s I, at no point did I believe he's I don't even know how young he's supposed to be in the scene I really don't I, I have no understanding is he is he in his 20s, is he in his 30s I don't know, I don't really care
0: well, the hard works, thing is, we also regardless. we also know what Robert De Niro looked like in his twenties and thirties, and it doesn't help. No, no. Um, yes. it didn't really bother me through the movie. I, there were points where I did feel like I'm like, oh, the eyes look a little glazy, or the skin is is waxy. Um, I I think I was able to kind of overlook that by just thinking, oh, well, this is someone kind of story about his life maybe in a way this is supposed to be his and you know it's him looking back so it's he's that same guy and so I think that was me trying to justify it through myself that oh it's just the same guy throughout the years and maybe just a little de-aged but it didn't bother me enough to take me out of the movie but it it definitely was something where I was like well that was a lot of hype for for that Um, but for most of the movie he is supposed to be in his I would say what 40s and 50s and then all the way up to you know, very old age um, And so for most of the movie it wasn't a problem with me It was just those very young scenes
2: And I do want to say this As much as I might have a problem with some of that there, The scene over the engine Is the other one where it's not great I, mm-hmm. It bothers me I think it detracts from how good that scene is I will say uh, Because I don't think we've talked about it yet Specifically um, I, I, want, I want to single out Joe Pesci Yes, here. yes Because that is, he he takes the movie. Mm -hmm. He steals the movie for a variety of reasons. But I think the main reason is he's the only one of those, the three giant titans in this playing in a gear we have not seen him in, in a film like this. Yes. He is quiet and in control beginning to end. And it is fabulous to watch. And then at the end, When he's really old, Mm -hmm. the old age makeup on him is superb. That tremor he has in his hand is so perfectly played. Like that's not, it's not showy. It's not, oh, look, he's playing a guy with a tremor. It's just a guy with a tremor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, He's fantastic, both in in every possible way an actor can be in this movie. He's the one I really kind of hope gets the big push. I know they'll, they'll try for Pacino for best actor or supporting probably it's it's Pesci's is the performance to savor in this movie. And for me, Keitel just to see Keitel back with Scorsese for the first time since last temptation of Christ. <laughs> I was, that was just fantastic. <laughs> I just I, fantastic for me.
0: I totally agree about uh, Pesci. I remember when I was reading the book, I, I knew that Pesci was playing uh, Buffalino, but every time they would describe buffalino's mannerisms i would be like that doesn't sound like a pesci role to me and then they would describe jimmy hoffa and i'm like oh so pesci's probably they got it wrong pesci's playing hoffa right because he's the big (laughs) the big uh you know big talker guy but he he is so good like you said he is so quiet everything is internalized but he is also no less threatening than he was in Goodfellas. He is oh, he, he's
2: so much scarier.
0: Oh, he's, <laughs> he's so much scarier yeah. here. He, he's terrifying. Just And it's the power he wields and the way Pesci carries himself. Uh, oh, yeah. He, if, he, he's so good. If you,
2: if you need a corollary for this, basically uh, Pesci in Goodfellas is Sonny Corleone. Pesci <laughs> in this is Michael Corleone. Yes, yes that's, that's very the difference. Good. Yes,
0: Uh yeah, no, he, I, I, first off, I realized how much I missed having Joe Pesci on screen. Um, uh, I think Good Shepherd was the last thing I saw him in, and I, from what I remember, that was a very small part. Um, the, I could be wrong on that. It's been a long time since I've seen that one.
2: It uh, is. It's a small. It's a small
0: part. But. For him to come back and then have a role like this, it just reminded me how much I missed him. Um, and, and I think, yeah, he he is the dominating force in this movie. He is the one who holds all the control over Frank. He He's the one who is giving him his orders, and he's the one Frank listens to. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Pacino is very, very entertaining in this. And I, I think he's a blast to watch. But he, yes. he does... He does what you get Pacino for, you know.
2: See, and I okay, go ahead. I'll let you finish.
0: Oh, I, I <laughs> but mean, but then I want to talk. <laughs> I figure at this stage in his career, you're usually getting Pacino to go big. That that's why you would get him. I think I don't think that's bad here. I think there are definitely times where it has been bad in the past, but um, I, I think here it fits Hoffa really well. And it, to me, I just I, I found him so entertaining, just to even watch the way he eats ice cream <laughs> it was, yes. it was cracking me up or just how the, I, I wanted to scream at the screen. Every time someone would kind of just put him in line, you're just kind of like, okay, Jimmy just walk away. And he would always have one more line to throw back at them. That would dig yes. a little d- deeper. Um, I had a blast watching him. It is definitely one of those most acting performances in a lot of ways. Um, and I just I, I thought Pesci was the one who stuck to the ribs a bit more, but I had a great time with Pacino.
2: See, I, I so, and I will, uh, this, this is worthy of a, you know, probably an entire episode. But I, I understand that it is easy to paint Pacino in this way, but I do think it's for people who just want it to be easy. He really has always done. Big and small and granted He does more mm. big now than when he was a young Man but the move the, I mean the scenes I remember in This that stick with me are the quiet ones They are the scenes of He and Frank talking They are not you know they're not the big speeches That he gives they are the scenes It's, it's the scenes I mean my favorite Scenes in the movie Outside of when I get to see Harvey Keitel Joe Pesci And Robert De Niro <laughs> share the screen are, are the scenes at that man of the year Banquet between Pesci and Pacino where they are both dead quiet and it's it's Pacino who when he loses it you realize what he's losing <laughs> yeah <laughs> that he is he is ruining everything for himself in this moment and it's not big it's not whoa that, that owl that we that we can easily mock it's it's regular it's, it's, it's a normal human being who has reached the end of his of his capability of eating shit (laughs) who will not accept that he isn't the one in charge anymore. You know, it's a great, I, I, I don't remember where I read it first. It's not my thought, but you know, this is if nothing else, a fabulous performance of American ego run amok. (laughs) And that's, that is what he is in this movie. Uh, and I, 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 so I, 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 wish to speak up for Pacino in that capacity. He did a great movie. Uh, I'm sorry. He gave a great performance. <laughs> I don't want to say it's a great movie. I, uh, four years ago now was it, that was it, that's about right for Danny Collins,
0: where that playing, sounds he played he right. played the
2: old rock star. That sounds
0: which right. Which
2: he and Bob, he and Bobby Cannavale are
0: superb
2: together in that movie. Bobby Cannavale plays his son, which uh, and I I I adore Bobby Cannavale. I think he's a fabulous actor. He's a fabulous stage actor who, with good direction, is superb on film. He can go a little over the top. <laughs> he doesn't always modulate well from the stage to the screen. But when he's good, I think he's unbelievably great. And he's really good in this movie. I yes, loved is. him. I liked him. That's another reason I wanted to bring it up. Uh, yeah, let, and shout out to a bunch of, the. you know, we've talked a lot about the big titans in this. Ray Romano's
0: fantastic oh, in this. Oh, he's, he's a lot of fun.
2: He's so good. I, I want him as my smarmy lawyer <laughs> any day.
0: Um, Stephen Graham also, I I mentioned him briefly, but he was so much fun to watch. And I get, I I just, I love those scenes where he's digging into Hoffa. They are so much fun to watch, but he's also scary. Like that, that's kind of the other thing in this movie is how many of these people have these, you know, friendly side or funny sides, but they are also just vicious and cold Mm -hmm. when they need to be. Um, Anna Paquin has maybe... Mm -hmm one line in the entire movie that she speaks Mm -hmm. but her every scene cut fantastic performance the way the way that scorsese uses peggy in that movie because all the other women are kind of at the periphery and i know some have complained about it but i i I think that is by design these this this is these men being insulated in their life uh, and they push everything else to the side But the way he uses Peggy just watching Frank through the years, and her eyes are like little daggers, as she knows more about what's going on than he can imagine. And Anna Paquin gets so much out of just one line in the entire movie. Um, Yeah. Or even, there's even a scene where she has no lines, but she just comes in with a friend while Frank's watching TV about a crime he was involved with, and it's just the look she gives him. Yeah, and it's 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 that indictment. It's it's that's the judgment that Frank is getting, and that's what he's ultimately going to lose. Is that relationship? Yes. And uh, yeah, she's she's very well used in this movie.
2: Uh, it's it's a it's a fantastic character, and for all those who want to complain about how you know, yes, it's the another Scorsese film in which there's a the. Uh, basically non-existent female character who is consistently abused by her, by the men in the film, I would argue, well, she's not
0: abused. No. she's
2: She's got a terrible father and she knows it. And on top of that, it's actually, that's the structure of the entire screenplay. I don't think Jesse Plemons has more than two lines.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He is quiet all the time around his father. <laughs> he plays the, uh, uh, Jimmy Hoffa's son. Uh, and he's as sort of he's sort of just stuck in the wake of the giant thing that is his father throughout the whole movie and that's you know it's it's fascinating to think about how those two characters parallel each other and what they mean mm-hmm. to each other <laughs> as, as what happens in the film plays out uh, ah, it's such a it's, it's as we've been saying it's a great script it is it's really well directed it's full of amazing performances and it's actually about something
0: yes a lot like many an, things a lot like an avengers endgame it, it's a lot like <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i just like keep drawing that that conversation back uh no it is i mean it is i i think it's about many things it is like i said him i think answering his critics who have said oh he glamorizes this it's it's his emphatic no i don't which i, I i'm with you i think you look back at goodfellas i don't think he's glamorizing things so much as he's showing why people get drawn into it, which I think the same thing is true with Wolf of Wall Street, which is a movie that, yes, I sat through and felt like I needed a shower afterwards, but I <laughs> I felt like Scorsese felt he probably needed a shower after making the movie. I, I, I think he, that entire movie is to make you feel numbed and sick of having your face rubbed in all that excess. And... This is kind of the same thing, but in a more somber tone.
2: And it's and it's the payoff. I mean, the, the again. It's, it's, there is no better filmmaker ever. Yes, fine, mock me. I don't <laughs> mind saying this. But that the you know, the whole film is to get to that last sequence. And what's the last shot in Wolf of Wall Street? It's him holding the It's pen a out, bunch right? of people enwrapped,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, just swallowing everything Jordan Belfort tells them and wanting to be just like him. <laughs> While well, the whole movie is showing you. Oh good God no! There's there's no pleasure in that. There's yeah. no, there's no there's nothing happy in that movie. Nothing good happens to him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've also I, I've heard a lot of people starting to gripe that it's not accurate about the Hoffa, which no one's ever going to know that, and it's <laughs> yeah. not the. I don't point give a shit. The, it's yeah. yeah. And it's not the yeah. point of the movie. In fact, there is a reading where I think. If if Frank is lying, which again it's not that that's not in the movie at all. But it, let's say Frank is lying about this whole life, about his relationship with Hoffa, that is just him more extending his legacy, extending his life beyond death in a way. It, it's him digging, but I I don't think the movie or
2: or it's or I mean I, or, I could swing it the other way, which is it's yes it, maybe it's 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 him. Having been able, be, being able to find some sort of historical precedent on which he can articulate his guilt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I you know, don't, it doesn't even have to be literal. I mean, I think it's supposed to be in the film. I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not saying that's what's going on in the movie. This is not. If you're, if you're yeah. this biscuit made fan. This is not a Jacob's ladder situation. <laughs> but this, it is. You could have fun with it at that level if you wanted to, as as you know, as, as as someone who enjoys overanalyzing a text.
0: <laughs> I think too. I like I, getting back to the Hoffa thing, the ev- the whole build up to Hoffa's the, the shooting, De Niro plays that so well as you begin to get the slightest sense that Frank is having hesitation about this, that he. This is the first time where I felt like he didn't know how to feel about what he was doing. But you know he's going to go through with it anyway because that's what he does. And him sitting in the back seat of that car as they're driving to the house, you just get the sense that there, there is, for the first time, something roiling under Frank's surface that he, he is about to do something he doesn't like, but he knows the only way for him to survive is to do this and kill his Closest friend, and, and I thought De Niro played that fantastically.
2: The um, oh yeah, yes,
0: absolutely. Uh, one of my
2: favorite. The other scene that, uh, for whatever reason, has stuck with me. There, you know, it's it's odd what sticks with you from a three and a half hour film because mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole thing ain't. The other scene uh, that, again, for me shows. It, it, it's it's for me the brilliance of De Niro again it is the scene where he he first is given that uh, the leadership of a local of a Teamster local mm-hmm. by Jimmy Hoffa and we have a scene where he goes to the local physically he goes to visit and he has no idea what to do mm-hmm. he can't glad hand he's not a politician he doesn't he's like He's, he's going to show up, and he I, – I don't I, – I cannot I, – I love the moment because it's the – it is it is the one moment in the movie where it does feel like he's actually grasping at some sort of inner life. Mm-hmm. There is some purpose for this, and I don't know that he, the character believes that at all. I think he's just so caught up in the moment that this is what he thinks he should do now. And so he tries that and there's nothing for him really to do there. <laughs> and it's such it's the one moment in the film where I you, I—I think you are supposed to have a modicum of sympathy for him <laughs> to, to either because he's so, that's how dead he is inside. He can't figure out how to do anything else uh, or because, you know, if you want to be kind and say the circumstances of him, life have led him here, that he's not going to be able to do that in any way. <laughs> it's I, it's a it's a fabulous moment to me. And it's. Yeah. It is the moment that gives because I don't even think of I don't think he thinks about friendship. He is so dead inside. I don't think that he I, I, I don't I don't I, you know for this is this is this is our I guess we're getting to the big philosophical moment we always get to right that for me you know friendship for me is is uh, cannot be divorced from love hmm. and I, he's not capable of love. <laughs> at all? No. Even male, I don't think he loves Joe Pesci in any capacity. He just has always been the guy that he follows. So he does, and I don't think he. I think he's. I think he likes Hoffa tremendously, <laughs> but there's no real friendship there from, from on his side because he's incapable of that. And I, I don't know. I think Hoffa actually. I, I, I guess that's the fun reading of Hoffa in this movie. Where if he is, if he is the stand-in for for all politics in America, this you know ego-filled, remarkable gladhander who can win over a crowd and win over any you know he can win over a crowd, a truck driver, and he can win over a dude with no inner life. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that's that's a pretty potent figure who's going to go far in this life, but will eventually trip up on his own ego. That's you know those are those are just such wonderful concepts to think about and play with.
0: Yeah, and no, you bring that up too. And th- when you say uh, he's a car- he's a person who doesn't know how to love, I think of just the throwaway moment where he meets who becomes his second wife, and basically the, <laughs> the disillusion of his marriage is shown with him walking to a hotel, and just the line is something like. You know, there's never a good time to leave your wife. But, you know, that's <laughs> Like, that is such a... Yes. like, like that, that says so much about how he feels about the right and wrong of what he's doing. I think you're right in that he, I don't think he considers Russ a friend or loves him. I think it is, this is the person who gave me a shot. This is the person who holds power over my life. I am going to be the dutiful soldier. I think it keeps coming back to that war mentality. And he is the good soldier, just gonna keep doing what he does. With Hoffa, and maybe it's me reading more into the... from the book, um, where I think it's a little more clear that he was very fond of Jimmy Hoffa. Um, And that's the time where I start to see maybe there was a friendship there. But then again, he shoots him in the back of the head. So... I,
2: I, right. Yeah. right. <laughs> yes, I yes, the the movie Frank. I want to be very clear. Yes. Having not read the book, I'm sure the book's great. I should probably read the book at this point. But yes, that's I would I would yes, I can see how you would bring that to it having read the whole book. Yes. That makes a lot of sense and I I will next time I watch it, which will be in just a few days because I will gladly watch it a second time when it arrives on <laughs> Netflix. I will I will try to watch it focusing on that. If I can really see that. If, if if that's the way I think De Niro's playing it, other it, it just it just feels like uh, uh it, it feels like a guy you know struggling between two father figures.
0: Mm. <laughs> and, and that could is, be it too.
2: It is the daughter's utter love of of Hoffa that is fascinating. I mean that's yeah. that is the that is the psychological layer that for me gets back at why I love the fact that it's it's readily apparent that scorsese was very thankful that netflix ponied up the money to make this and still refused to actually accept the title they wanted for the movie oh
0: i thought that was great <laughs> the, the title of it is the, that's the only title card you get is i heard you paint houses
2: at the beginning of the film yep. and then at the end of the movie the first one is the irishman and then right after it again i hear you paint houses <laughs> <laughs> Which, let's face it, is a much better title for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is, uh, you know, if we're going to talk about, you know, if we're going to talk about this is a, you know, this is a, this is a, a, a snapshot, a metaphor of the worst sort of instinct in the American male over the latter half of the 20th century, then... I can't think of a better metaphor uh, for, you know, there is, there is nothing that screams domesticity more than painting a house. Mm -hmm. It means you own it. (laughs) It means you're going to, you don't, you don't paint the house you rent. (laughs) And then to have that, have that in the background of this, this, this portrait of a man unable to be domesticated (laughs) Mm -hmm? is just so sharp and so good. And, uh, you know, I am I am very thankful that Netflix uh, ponied up the money for this, and I think they totally whisked out on the name. What do they care about the name of the movie? They don't care about the theatrical release anyway.
0: Well, and the thing <laughs> is, it, the whole the whole thing is like we've said, Frank doesn't have much inside of him. He is really defined, and people see him by what he does, what he can do for yes. them. He is a tool. And I heard you paint houses is of course mob code for I hear you kill people yes um, and i think that is perfect because that's that is frank's use he is a tool they use to kill there is very little in the movie about him being the Irishman. it has very little to do with anything aside from the moment where he he gets a ring and is told he's the only irish person to have it yeah uh, yeah yeah i i think uh yeah it, it, the irishman is such a bland title um but, but whatever, it's a great movie. I, I really, it's one of my favorite movies this year. I, I really, it's neck and neck there right now with me and uh, with Parasite. Um, oh, okay. So, but, but I think this right now has kind of the edge in that. This is just a movie. I, I've used this phrase a few times, but it sticks to the ribs. It's, I I can't stop thinking about this. Um, there are so many different aspects that I have Just kind of mulled over in the last week. Um, Again, going back, I I love spiritual questions in film. I love wrestling with those final confession moments and the question of whether he really feels any guilt for what he's done. Yeah. And, And, like, I kept coming back to that. And, you know, guilt is obviously something Scorsese has wrestled with in all his films. And,.
2: Well, and he, you know, Frank does. We know he feels guilt. He can't get absolution from the person he wants it from. Uh-huh. You know, he, he this, it is, like I was saying, that, you know, this movie gives you nothing. There's no relief. You know, it would be so easy to write the scene where they he does get to confront the daughter who won't talk to him. Uh-huh. And we don't, it doesn't, I mean, even even if she never said anything, we don't even get that. No. we get nothing and that's so <laughs> that is so uh, that is such a painful inability <laughs> to really there is no cathartic moment in this movie ever and that's so powerful and that that's why you know the, the pre the, I, you know, that's, that is for me the, the interest in those confessional scenes it is he's just desperate for anybody mm-hmm. <laughs> to tell him it's okay at this point because he can't get it from the person he needs it from the most.
0: Yeah. And and, and the final thing I kept being left with was just this thought that it, it's this reminder. Which, I'm 40. I, I You know, I went through my little midlife crisis, so I don't need to be reminded of this. But we're all going to die is basically the theme of the movie.
2: These yes. guys
0: are either going to die in a mess of bullets in front of their house or they're going to be old, and they're going to fall, and they're going to break their hip, or they're going to get cancer. But it's coming for every single person, and it, it like it just strike. It's so striking too how the life that Frank chooses it requires increased isolation over the years because of all the betrayals, the people who are going yeah. to be taken till he's left. That that shot of him walking down the hallway in his home and falling is the most yeah. pathetic like it's so <laughs> pathetic and, and i don't mean that as in you know making fun of him i'm saying it is this guy who we've watched yes kill people and you, you know kind of help shape national history is reduced to an old man who can't get up in his hallway yes and oh gosh this, this is this is a great movie i i i loved this movie and i cannot wait to watch it again either and uh which which y'all can do um, if you're in Michigan, it is in a few theaters right now. Um, many,
2: actually, many. Truth be told, it you is, have
0: you have a lot of options
2: in the in the greater Detroit area.
0: Yeah, it's it's still expanding. Um, I believe now actually, you can go see it at the Maple Theater, which I'm only saying that because the Andiamo in front of the Maple Theater is the, la- is the uh, former Red Fox Tavern <laughs> where Jimmy Hoffa was last seen alive. So it's a little tourist trip all in one. I'm sure they love the marketing for that. But, uh, they
2: really should. I hope there's a special. I really hope that Andiamo is his brain <laughs> to put together a Jimmy Hoffa dinner special.
0: I, just an ad that says, you know, Hoffa was kept waiting. Don't you be kept waiting either. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so... I highly recommend see this. However, you can see it on Netflix if that's the way you're going to see it. Just see this movie. Maybe not on. See it th-
2: if you care and can get to it. See in theater. Yes. That is. I mean, it is. It is a cinematic experience. That said, it really is very. It is very talky. It's a lot of long mm-hmm. dialogue scenes, and so I don't think it's going to lose much on a smaller no. screen. No. Other but- than. That's not the way that you know would it would ideally be seen.
0: I w- I was talking to a co-worker today and they had asked if I'd seen it and so I said, yeah and they were looking forward to watching it on Netflix like you know it's three and a half hours so I can take a few breaks and I, I just stopped and like, no, that's the wrong way to watch this movie you you don't you don't take breaks you have to feel you have to kind of soak in that length a little bit. You have to feel the <laughs> weight of time. You can't just take a, take a break and come back in two hours and I, finish the movie. I will,
2: I will. You reminded me of <laughs> something that's just always made me laugh on, uh, in the, uh, the Godfather trilogy, originally the Lasers release of the same stuff that's come out on DVD, the making of a documentary about the trilogy has this for me, Painfully, screamingly funny moment because it's this—it's this inability to articulate what you're trying to shoot. You know, you don't want to explain it because you're trying to shoot something, and it's—it's it's a scene where Coppola is directing Pacino at a funeral in Godfather Three, and he's telling—you know—Pacino's in that all Michael Corleone old age makeup. He's, you know, he's stooped in front of this casket, and Coppola's giving him direction, and all he says is, "Just feel the weight of the gravity of the thing." <laughs> and that's 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 what I wanted you to tell your your your, your the person you work with. You, no, you have to feel the weight of the gravity of the thing. You you can't just stop. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Perry, do you have anything else to say about the Irishman?
2: Um, I uh, it no boy. We've talked a lot. No, it's 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 just it's a work of art. I, yeah. I you know I, we were gonna do. I'll give him some insight baseball because of. Uh, uh, some horrific life uh, circumstances that, that kept us away from each other for a while. You know, we were going to do an episode about Thanksgiving and we'll probably do it next year where we talk about things about movies that we're thankful for. And I was literally going to say, and would have done this even if, you know, the Irishmen weren't coming out. I, I, I honestly am thankful and awed by the fact that I get to go see new movies by the person I think is the greatest filmmaker that's ever lived in my life. I, I can't, uh, that is that is just m- momentous for me and this is you know, to, to have that again whether or not you respond to this movie as strongly as as we did this is this is art <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is this is art <laughs> and so I, I am so happy that films like this and uh directors like that exist
0: Yeah, I I, I mean, I couldn't say that better. I think there's been... I've been very, very frustrated. Even as a fan of the Marvel movies, I've been frustrated that as Martin Scorsese has this movie out, all anyone can ask him is, what do you think of Iron Man? And, (laughs) you know, you can like what you like. I like the Marvel movies. This is... I I would take this experience over any Marvel movie any day Um, (laughs) but, but I think the fact that he is in his 70s he has been making films for decades he is putting out films that are as good as he's ever made and it's not like this is a comeback this is at least the third film of his in a row that he's released that I'm certain will be on my top 10 list of the year uh, that, that is amazing to me. And uh, go see it. Go soak it in. I, I, I can't recommend it high, highly enough. Um, let us know what you think. Uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter. Perry, where can people find you?
2: You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. You can also find me on Facebook under my name. You can hear me every Friday morning at about 9.40 on WLBY in Ann Arbor. And you can uh, usually find me in the third row center of your local multiplex
0: all right you can find me writing about films at michigan sports and entertainment.com you can find me on twitter at mere christianity and you can find me on uh the other podcast i do which is wasting time i took a little break uh over the last few months but i will be back on it in january or december um but the the other co-hosts i have are doing a great job right now so uh we will be back in a few weeks and uh yeah we're gonna hopefully get a few more out before the end of the year Perry, I look forward to taking more time to talk with you about these.
2: Can't wait to do best of the year and best of the decade! That's
0: great! Can't wait to get all those uh, Marvel movies on there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in a few weeks.